reasons why I hate and love fall. The Democrats are in trouble, more calls for gun control, and there's a crazy blood-drinking libertarian in Florida. What's new? Welcome to the Stephen Perkins program. That is just um, a preview into the topics that we're talking about this week. And uh, it's been it's been quite an interesting past week. We didn't have a show last week. My apologies for that. Uh, but we, what we did have was the premiere on the Outset Network. We had the premiere of Young Guns, uh, which is a new podcast that now airs on Fridays. So if you haven't checked them out yet, I encourage you to go to OutsetMagazine.com slash podcast, um, where you will find the details of the Young, Gun, the Young Guns podcast. It's a panelist show, so it's more than... Uh, one person usually it's about four to four to six each week is the ideal setup, and uh, th- they've been doing really good. I've been because th- the first two episodes we've done, we just recorded this week's uh, on Tuesday, because there's been some people out, some people from the regular panel. I've kind of stepped in, and so I'm actually on the first two episodes, um, which I hope changes because honestly, I think uh, people don't want to hear me. But here I am doing this show. All right, so let me just say, it is now officially fall. I presume it has been for a couple of weeks in states that actually get all four seasons. But in Texas, this week, it has started to uh, to seem like fall. We've had temperatures in the 60s, which everyone freaks out about. I wake up at 65 degrees. Uh, I, I go to campus and there's people in sweaters, even though the high that day is like 80. But, you know... My goodness, if fall is technically here, we might as well celebrate it. There are a few things that I love and I, and I hate about fall. And I, I'd, I'd like to get into a few of them here. And let me start off, you know, let's start off on a positive note, shall we? The things I love about fall. Honestly, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cold weather person, or at least a cool weather person, um, which makes perfect sense why I live in Texas where it's summer 340 days a year but so that's one of the things i love about fall is it's starting to get colder i can wear sweaters or jumpers as they say and um and i'm starting to realize how basic i'm sounding my apologies but another thing that i love about fall and this is for fall not necessarily winter i think people start to become nicer during fall right because the weather's nicer it's not as hot so they're not as angry um, people are just, I don't know, they let me cross the street without running me over with their Prius. Which, by the way, what a sad way would that be to go if you get run over by a Prius. That would be pretty terrible. Uh, so, you know, fall presents all these great opportunities. There's now this thing at Starbucks called a salted caramel uh, latte, which, <laughs> let me tell you, I told them, I told them, I'm, I'm not going to drink it, all right, because I'm not going down that road. Because I know what's next. It's a pumpkin spice latte. But I tried the salted caramel. Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. So I recommend if you're into to caramel and uh, and salt, check it out. And lattes, I guess, is another prerequisite for, for that beverage. But now we get into the things I don't like about fall. And I've already mentioned one of them. Pumpkin spice lattes. In fact, pumpkin spice anything. Right, pumpkin spice water, pumpkin spice jelly beans, pumpkin spice selfie sticks, pumpkin spice, oh, I, I don't know. They, they probably have sp- pumpkin spice liquor, I'm sure, 
I mean, they have what they have fireball whiskey. I'm sure they have pumpkin spice whiskey, or at least they're working on it. It is ridiculous. And this is the age of the prevalence of, excuse my generalization, but the common white girl. And honestly, it's uh, it's disturbing for our culture. Um, what we are doing and what we encourage. I mean, for, forget about violence in video games. Let's talk about how our culture really encourages basicness. And I've fallen into this. Listen, I, you know, I am, I am all for going to Starbs, getting, getting a latte, you know, a muffin, and sitting out there and just doing some work on my Mac. I understand. But the pumpkin spice latte is one area that I will not go into. And let's talk about another thing with fall. And I hate to hate on the ladies. But I feel like, you know, I'm an equal opportunity hater. I, I hate on them all. What is going on? And this just really happened uh, or started happening, I guess, two years ago. And, and it certainly continued on. There is the typical fall outfit if you... Um, if, if at least if you're on a college campus, you certainly realize this. It is the the leggings, the long shirt, long sleeve, but also long in length, and UGG boots. I mean, of course, UGG boots. And then usually like a sweater that droops and kind of like it's it's like business in the front, party in the back. It's pretty much a, uh, oh, what, what do they call it? It's a mullet sweater is what I call them. These are the trends that are happening in our world. Are we supposed to stand by and let it happen? Short answer is yes. It's not something I feel like fighting. But fall is, uh, you know, it's a wonderful time. But we have to be careful because we don't want to lose our sanity. We don't want to lose our dignity. A lot of people have lost their dignity. But I suppose we could take it back. And I would start with uh, stop drinking your PSLs. Oh, they also have pumpkin spice cookies now, pumpkin spice muffins. Starbucks has, I, I'm surprised they haven't trademarked the term pumpkin spice. Make a lot of money. All right, that rant is over. And before we get too far into the show this week, I do want to give some love to our advertising partner. And that is Octopod's line of portable charging solutions. I use their product called the Ion 3. It is a small, portable, compact a cylindrical charging device that I throw in my backpack and I can use when I'm on campus or in out working or in meetings. And it guarantees that my phone or tablet never has to go without power again. And you can have the same luxury if you go to octo-pod.com outset and use the promo code outset at checkout for 50% off. You can browse their entire line of portable charging solutions. Find the one that works for you. They even have a solar powered one in case that's your thing. Once again, the URL is octo-pod.com slash outset. Use the promo code outset at checkout for 50% off your order. Now, um, let's talk about how, how much in trouble the Democrats are. You have a Democratic race. Martin O'Malley is, is at like 2%. Bernie Sanders is quickly catching up with Hillary Clinton. And in fact, uh, latest poll from Iowa shows that he's ahead of Clinton and he, he's ahead of her in New Hampshire. Uh, which are two vital early states. And now what is happening is that, uh, is, is that there is kind of this, this conflict within the Democratic Party. 
Democratic insiders believe that Hillary Clinton should be the nominee, and this is finally her year. I mean, that's been their whole argument is that it's Hillary Clinton's time to be president, so let's get her up there, let's get her nominated and get her in the White House so she'll shut the hell up. What CNN just announced today is they are shrinking the Democratic debate by one hour. This is from the Weekly Standard. Last month, CNN hosted a Republican presidential primary debate. The main debate was a three-hour affair. No. Yeah, it was three hours. Next week, the same network will host a Democratic presidential primary debate, but this time... The debate will be one hour shorter. It'll span only two hours. Of course, there's a big difference in the number of candidates. True chains. The Republican debate featured 11 candidates. The Democrat debate will probably be made up of five candidates, which, oh my goodness, what a miracle that they can even get five candidates up there because I thought it was just going to be Hillary and Bernie duking it out. So the Democrats have only six debates planned. Republicans have twice the number on the schedule, which just makes me... It, that gives me pain when I read that, that Democrats are going to have six debates, Republicans are going to have 12, and then we have all the general election debates. God help us. God help us. But there is a divide going on within the Democratic Party. And now they're talking about this weekend, Joe Biden may be entering the race. And the draft Joe Biden committee has already put out an ad using the sympathy card and um and and they've done very well at it if you haven't seen the ad i would um i would encourage you to go watch it but pretty much what is happening now within the democratic party is you have hillary clinton who has kind of always been more of the moderate and you have bernie sanders who is a self-proclaimed socialist and is certainly very far left and you, what's happening is, is Hillary is having to go to the left on many issues because Sanders is pulling her that way. Now, with Joe Biden entering the race, this could be very, very interesting. Joe Biden is a much different candidate, but he's scarred by the fact that he's been vice president under Barack Obama. Um, and regardless of what they say, many Democrats do feel as if Barack Obama hurt the Democrat Party brand. After all, we see how viable a Republican victory is looking now because people are fed up uh, with the system. Now, granted, the main reason why they say a Republican victory as a whole is viable is because Donald Trump is in the race and he's getting a lot of support, although that's dwindling. Thank goodness. But the Democrats are in an interesting situation because they now find themselves having a real competition for the nomination. Clinton, earlier this year, thought that she had it in the bag and then Sanders... Sanders entered the race and changed that dynamic a bit, and he continues to change that dynamic. He is getting the youth support because here's the thing about uh, people my age and, and just the youth vote in general. We can smell BS from hundreds of miles away, and when you talk to people, um, especially on college campuses, they know Hillary Clinton is not to be trusted. She's not trustworthy. She's a liar. She's an opportunist. These are all things that college kids have said. These aren't even my editorial uh, remarks. So she's a liar. She's not to be trusted. Sanders is seen as that that you know that wonderful uh, grandfather who who gives you whatever you want and doesn't make you pay for it. Except here's the thing: when you profess your love and support for Bernie Sanders, you are announcing to the world, "Hey world, look at me." I'm economically illiterate. I don't understand how markets work. I don't understand 
um, that our debt is tens of trillions of dollars. I don't understand that the welfare state is unsustainable. I don't understand that I'm going to have my taxes raised because, you know, Bernie's saying that all he's going to do is raise taxes for the very rich, even though Bernie knows whenever you tax the 1% at 100%, you can't even fund the government for a year. Fun fact for you. But there will be people who continue to say that Bernie Sanders is the Democrat's savior, all because he's promising these very progressive, and I would just say very socialist things but they love it and they're eating it up and he is gaining momentum because of it now with joe biden entering the race joe biden has been a long time democrat i mean he's been in there since about the 70s or 80s he has a very compelling story he has a lot of experience even with foreign policy honestly i think if joe biden was president our foreign policy our foreign policy would not be as messed up as the Barack Obama foreign policy, it would still be messed up because Democrats don't understand what they're talking about when it comes to foreign policy. But I think it'd be better. And so Biden is going to play a very interesting role in the Democratic primaries. I think he's going to pull people back towards the center. Now, that's not to say that he's necessarily a moderate, but I think he is going to capitalize on the people that Hillary is leaving behind. And I also think that, listen, Joe Biden is, is someone who unites his party. He's done a very good job among all types of Democrats. And obviously that dynamic can change with a primary um, as unpredictable as this has been on both the Republican and the Democrat side. These types, of, uh, these types of appeals and these types of situations can change. But I think that Biden has an incredible lead here because he understands and he sees uh, an area that he can exploit. And I don't mean that in a negative way. But he sees that there is an untapped potential within the Democratic Party. And the party's really looking for someone like Barack Obama, who served as a uniter for all types of Democrats. And I think that Joe Biden is going to position himself to be that person. And it's really interesting when you hear him talk. He's been going on some shows. He is starting his entire campaign, from what I can tell, and he's obviously not official yet, but he is starting it with the sympathy card. You know, his, his, his wife and child were killed. His son was recently killed. He is painting himself as a sensitive man who has had a long history, but he's become stronger because of it, and he's a true leader, and he's ready to finally lead the country, which is fair and fine. Now, it will be disappointing if he uses those tragedies throughout his entire campaign to continue to grab the sympathy points, because that's not, I mean, that's not clean politics. But then again, when, do, when does anyone do clean politics? But I think there's a real potential for Joe Biden to be the nominee. And I think, and, and, and this is stupid of me to even say, but if I were to comment on, on, on who I think would be the nominee. I think Joe Biden's going to be the one who gets it. It makes sense. He's been the vice president. He's he's had ex, uh, executive experience in that regard. So he's had a long career in the Senate. And unlike Democrats, or unlike Republicans, excuse me, unlike Republicans, Democrats are, do not seem to be pushing away um, politicians with strong track records in these primaries, which is what we're seeing on the Republican side. And the reason why people like Carly Fiorina Donald Trump and Ben Carson are in the lead is because they don't have a political experience. Um, 
because many of my Republicans are, are, are stupid. So what it comes down to is the Democrats are right now in a dangerous situation for them, not for us. But I think what's going to happen is Joe Biden is going to end up being the clear front runner. Bernie Sanders is going to be kind of like a Ron Paul candidate. He makes his point, but ultimately he doesn't carry through. And Hillary Clinton, once again, is going to lose. And here's the best part about all of it. The Democratic Party being the party of diversity and being the party of the first black president is now going to have... Now, whether Biden or Hillary win the race, they're going to have an old, rich, white man or woman as their nominee. And on the Republican side, it is very likely that we could have a Cuban be our nominee, Ben Carson, a black guy, be our nominee. We could have Carly Fiorina, a woman, be our nominee. Oh, how the turntables. But that is the thing. It is, it is obviously a very interesting time for the Democrats. Barack Obama has yet to comment on, on who he would support. This is a tough situation for him. If his vice president uh, gets in the race, then obviously he has a soft spot for his vice president. But if Hillary Clinton gets in the race, well, you know, she was secretary of state. A terrible one, but she was secretary of state. And he has a soft spot for her, too. I, I wouldn't doubt it if he ends up going with Biden because, you know, I don't really think the Obamas like the Clintons that much. But these are the dynamics at play. So it'll be an interesting next year for really both parties, um, but primarily Democrats, and it's, uh, it's an area that I'm interested in watching. So we'll see what happens there. I also want to talk about, obviously last week we had... Um, we had a terrible shooting on uh, in, in Oregon at a community college up there. And we heard from the president that night give a speech about the incident, saying that, um, that he's been up at the podium way too many times at this point, making the same old remarks, proposing the same old solutions, and constantly getting criticism that he shouldn't be politicizing the issue. Which I disagree with. Because I, I, I think, whether you like it or not, guns are an innately political issue. And so when we have shootings like this, absolutely, we need to talk about guns. We need to have the debate. Now, how people on the right and people on the left approach this debate is, is much different, but we need to have a fair and honest debate. What I don't agree with is politicizing it the night of the incident. Here we are a week later, almost a week later, and I think now is, is the perfect time to start talking about, as people say, common sense gun solutions. And let's have that national debate. I want to bring up an article that Thomas Connerty wrote for Outset Magazine on October 3rd, which was the day after the shooting. The title of the article is Gun-Free Zones Are Deadly and Insane. And I want to read a bit about it. He says, The frequency of such attacks has reached a level beyond disturbing, penetrating 
the realm of evil. How anyone could look at a gun-free zone and conclude that it somehow makes people safer evades rational comprehension. The people who would be most responsible with guns have them stripped away, and the people most likely to do harm with guns are empowered. The logic justifying gun-free zones simply doesn't exist because they are among the most illogical rules regimes ever crafted. I have to agree with Thomas. How in the world are we supposed to look at a school shooting like this and say we need more gun control? Do you not understand that declaring the campus a gun-free zone, no mass shooters welcome here, what are you accomplishing? Do you actually stop anyone who is hell-bent on attacking people? No, you don't. But this brings up a much broader debate that we should be having. Because like I said, let's have a debate. But the problem is that the left is dishonest when it comes to the gun control debate because they don't want to admit their real objective. And I wrote, I wrote about this on October 5th for Outset. And I, I, I quoted the president during a speech when he said, quote, we know the states with most gun laws tend to have the fewest gun deaths. So the notion that gun laws don't work or just will make it harder for law-abiding citizens and criminals will still get their guns is borne out by the evidence, which is, by the way, incorrect, Mr. President. We know that other countries in response to one mass shooting have been able to craft laws that almost eliminate mass shootings. Friends of ours, allies of ours, Great Britain, Australia, countries like ours, so we know there are ways to prevent it. Well, the interesting thing is that if we want to bring up other countries, Great Britain outlawed guns. You cannot have personal protection in Great Britain. And so if, if, if that's the model we're supposed to be following, then I would submit that really the end goal of gun control uh, advocates is to disarm the American public. I mean, if, if they were honest, if they were really honest about what they want, they would say that we don't want anyone in this country other than military personnel, law enforcement personnel to have weapons. But here's the thing. They, they won't say that publicly because they know that Americans are against them. 73%, according to Gallup, 73% surveyed did not believe that a law banning the possession of handguns except for the police should be passed. So Americans believe in their right to protect themselves. They understand that the Second Amendment applies to them for their personal protection. 73% of them do not agree that we should ban them from private citizens. And gun control advocates know this. 
And so what did they do? They lie. They lie and they say, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not trying to disarm all Americans. Oh, no, no, we're just trying to, oh, we're just trying to make it harder for criminals to get guns. Oh, no, we just want, we want simple measures. We want, you know, universal background checks, maybe a registry. I don't know. Let's close the gun show loophole, which doesn't even exist, but let's try to close it anyways. What they're doing is is really what, what all politics is about. Politics is all about you have an end goal, which is viewed many times to be way too extreme by the public. And so what you do is you propose simple baby step measures that will get the public more comfortable with your end goal. So first they start with Background checks. Oh, simple. Oh, just do do universal background checks. Easy. Even though a background check would not have stopped the shooter in Oregon. Uh, let's do a registry. All right. Let's just, you know, let's do a simple registry. Even though a registry would not have stopped the shooter in Oregon. Do you see where I'm going with this? Oh, let's do, well, let's do psychiatric tests. Even though those probably would not have stopped the shooter in Oregon. If you actually pay attention to gun control advocates, every time there's a mass shooting, they always say, we need to have more gun control. And whenever you push them for specifics, they always say the same specifics. It's always, well, we should start with background checks. We should start with a registry. We should start with all these things. But all of the proposals that they recommend would not have actually stopped the mass shooting that they are speaking out against. So what is their point? They're trying to get us comfortable with the idea of restrictions on our Second Amendment rights. And listen, I, I agree with I, I agree with, with some of their solutions. Background checks. Background checks are great. The only problem is that Oregon already had background checks. In Texas, you already have to have a background check. In many states, you already have to have a background check to purchase a gun. So what are you even saying? That's like saying now in 2015, you know what? You know what we should have? We should have, we should have, instead of like horse-drawn carriages, we should have like cars with, with motors. Yeah, uh, moron, we already have those. But even background checks have not been successful in stopping these things. But they want to propose it anyways, because they know. They know that their end goal is unpopular. So let me help them out. And this is something I really do, or I rarely do. Um, you know, I, I don't enjoy helping out the opposition, but let me do it. Let me do it just to explain how they can really get the things they want done, how they can really get those things done. And it's... Well, I'm not going to say it's simple, but but the process I can simply explain. If you're a gun control advocate, first, please just be honest and say you want to disarm Americans. You don't believe that Americans should have the right to carry weapons on them. If that's your belief, please just come out and say that. Be honest with us. Because in order for us to have a national debate, as we say, oh, we want a national dialogue. 
we have to be honest first. I think the basis of all debate is that both sides are going to be honest. And Republicans, when it comes to the gun control debate, or conservatives in general, we're generally honest about the facts and statistics about gun control and how it's not effective. But the left is not honest in their intentions. And that ruins their, their credibility, quite frankly. So first step is being honest. The second step is, when it comes down to it, you're going to have to repeal or rewrite the Second Amendment. And let me, let me tell you how you do it. Let me tell you how you do it. So, if, if, if you want to pass gun control, and if you want to, let's say, let's say go as far, um, let's say going as far as, as, as stripping all Americans of their gun rights. This is what you do. You propose an amendment, either Congress or the Senate can do this, so, well, I guess really the first step is, is you have to elect uh, your liberal moron politicians who believe that stripping people of their Second Amendment rights is, is a thing that we should do. So first you elect them to Congress, either the House or the Senate. They propose an amendment, and then you get the amendment ratified. And the amendment would essentially say that the Second Amendment is hereby repealed. We've repealed amendments in the past. We repealed the Prohibition Amendment. So why not repeal the Second Amendment? Oh no, but we can't say that because we know that the public doesn't want to hear us say that we're repealing the Second Amendment, a part of the original Bill of Rights. So instead, we're going to be dishonest. We're going to be dirty liars. And we're going to say, no, all we want are background checks and registries and, you know, buyback programs. And, and then soon we'll just take all all your guns away. But this is what bugs me so much is about every every mass shooting that happens, the left comes out and they're not honest about their intentions. They're not honest about the fact that they want to disarm Americans. And like I said, that's fine if you have that viewpoint, but please at least be honest about it and then be honest about how you're actually going to carry it out. But a lot of people say on the right, you know, what is what is a conservative solution to stopping mass shootings? Well, honestly, it's it's changing culture. And I know that that sounds like a talking point, but that's really it. If you want to change the violence in this country, you have to stop the culture that, by the way, is a left leaning culture. You have to stop a culture that says it's OK to disregard other humans lives. That it's okay to act violently. That it's okay to show your emotion in the form of violence. And, and, and you think that this is far-fetched. These are actual themes that run through our culture. Popular culture, movie, television, video games, literature. They push these themes. And as a libertarian, I don't believe that we should restrict these themes. But what I think is that more people on the right need to start getting involved in culture. For far too long, the left has had a grip on culture. And they're able to influence it how you want. The left has control of the media. And they're able to craft a message however they want. Conservatives are more focused with 
entering the world of economics or entering the world of politics. We need to start entering the world of culture because that's how you change hearts. That's how you change minds. That's how you change a culture of violence. You don't pass laws to strip people of weapons that they use to defend themselves. You change the notion that it's okay to disregard human life. Oh, but the left will never get behind that notion because that also means that you can't murder babies in the womb, which they're all for. So what I can say is it's a long road. No one has the solutions to stopping shootings like this. And, and honestly, I, you know, I, I get tired of, of talking about them. I think we all get tired of talking about them because it's the same process every time. It's a shooter. And then we find out his information. And then the media, uh, th- then the media kind of purifies um, his history. And they try to make him out as, oh, just this misunderstood person when he's really a crazy murderer. And then the Democrats and the president come out and say that we need more gun control. And then conservatives say, no, we don't. We need more guns. And then the NRA comes out and says that they will, they will you know, destroy the careers of people who vote for anything. And my God, it's just one continuous system. And I'm sick and tired of it. I'm tired of it. How are we still having this debate when honestly both sides are being unethical and untrue? But the Democrats especially, they are not being honest about what they want and that's what they need to start doing. It's as simple as that. You know who is honest about what they want though? Let me tell you. This is this the story that's going to close us out because I think what a better note to end on. There's a libertarian senatorial candidate in Florida. He's a big fan of pagan rituals. He's a big fan of uh, sacrificing animals and drinking their blood. Now, if you haven't heard about this story, you're living under a rock. This is from Fox News. U.S. Senate candidate, listen to this name, Augustus Sol Invictus admitted to ritualistically sacrificing a goat and drinking its blood in a pagan ceremony. You know, just a casual Saturday night. Invictus, the only member of the Libertarian Party uh, the Libertarian Party of Florida running to fill the Senate seat vacated by Marco Rubio, also supports eugenics, um, says that he believes there should be a great war within America's borders and draws support of neo-Nazis, according to now former chairman of Florida's Libertarian Party, Adrian Wiley. Wiley, who resigned his post to call attention to Evictus' candidacy, excuse me, and hopes that other party leaders will denounce him, lobbed these claims publicly in a Facebook post last week. I said it on this week's Young Guns, which you'll hear tomorrow, but this is why libertarians can't have nice things. And this is why, as, as libertarian as I am, I am not a part of the Libertarian Party because they are honestly, they're full, it, the, the party is full of some weird people. And now we have this Senate candidate who's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I drink blood, I sacrifice to go, what you gonna do about it? You know, it's, a, I was a kid. And I think if he were to win, which thank God would never happen, he would he would replace Joni Ernst as probably the weirdest or the candidate with the weirdest backstory because of course Joni Ernst castrated a hog that's what made her uh, notable 
and in, uh, in the Senate race of 2014. And now we have Augustus Sol Invictus, who sacrifices goats, drinks their blood, and participates in pagan rituals, and also gets his support from neo-Nazis. I didn't know there were many neo-Nazis in Florida, but apparently there, apparently there's a considerable amount. Um, so best of luck to his campaign. I mean, not really best of luck, but um, I hope he finds peace in his life to where he no longer has to drink goat's blood. I mean, I hear it's nutritious, but come on. You can get your iron from other sources. Well, that does it for this week's show. What a roller coaster of emotion we dealt with this week. Make sure to uh, to go and connect with Outset on Twitter at Outset Magazine on Facebook.com slash Outset Network. You can find me on Twitter, Stephen underscore Perkins, Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. Subscribe to this show on iTunes, rate and review it. And make sure to check out Young Guns, which premieres, or not premieres, but premiered last week but which comes out tomorrow, Friday, October 9th. Make sure to check it out. Subscribe to them on iTunes. And until we speak again next week, take care. Bye.